0: Section 17 of Early Rome by Wilhelm Ina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 12 The Popular Assemblies of the Republic. The Senate, as we have seen, had no direct influence on the election of magistrates or on legislative enactments. These powers were lodged in the assembly of the people and constituted the attributes of sovereignty which in the ancient republics the people never delegated to any person or select body but invariably reserved to themselves as an inalienable right the oldest form of a popular assembly in rome was as we have seen that of the curies comitia curiata it consisted of patricians alone to the exclusion of plebeians this assembly was never formally abolished but in republican times it had lost all real political power And was retained only for the sake of a few formalities more of a religious than a political character of which the most remarkable was the annual passing of the law de imperio which conferred the military command on every newly elected consul and thus resembled in some way the annual enactment of the mutiny bill in england when roman history emerges from the legendary period we find another form of popular assembly in operation the assembly of centuries comitia curiata organized on an entirely different plan the plebeians were no longer excluded nor was family relationship and descent the principle of classification the whole people patricians and plebeians were divided into five classes according to a property qualification and each of these five classes was subdivided into a certain number of voting units called centuries the first class having eighty each of the three succeeding classes twenty centuries and the last class thirty thus making up a total of one hundred and seventy centuries or votes in addition to these there were eighteen centuries of knights and four centuries of musicians smiths and carpenters which were formed without regard to the amount of their property the qualification of the members of the first class was according to the statement of livy the possession of property valued above one hundred thousand asses or pounds of copper in each successive class this figure was less by twenty five thousand asses so that the fifth class embraced the citizens owning less than twenty five thousand asses there are indeed many controverted points of detail arising from the fact that our informants differ from one another but as they agree in the general character of the arrangement, we need not here be detained by these variations. It must strike everyone at first sight that this is a division of the people on military principles. The people, in fact, were here looked upon as an army and divided into fighting bodies. The 170 centuries of the five classes were all infantry. The cavalry was formed by the 18 centuries of knights, the musicians and engineers were equally essential branches of the service. Then each class consisted of an equal number of young fighting men and of veterans, the former destined to take the field, the latter reserved for the defence of the city. The men of the higher classes were bound to provide themselves with more or less complete armour. The lower classes were light armed, and the horses for the cavalry were furnished by the state lastly the place of meeting for this assembly was the field of mars and the signal for calling it together was not the voice of the public crier but the military trumpet from all this it is evident that the original purpose of the conturiate assembly was to provide protection for the state by organizing the whole body of citizens as an army it followed as a natural consequence that this body was entrusted with the decisions of peace and war and with the election of commanders, the two most important matters for every state and almost the only questions which would be of frequent occurrence in a rude community situated like that of Rome. Criminal offenders were looked upon as enemies of the country and were very properly tried by the same body which fought against foreign enemies. The final decision in legislative questions thus fell within the competency of the same military assembly of centuries, which thus became the sovereign assembly of the Roman people. But how did it first arise? Our informants are ready with a very simple answer. They affirm that one of the kings, called Servius Tullius, worked out the plan in his own brain, furnished it in all its detail, and was about to introduce it when he was murdered by Tarquin the tyrant, that during the reign of tarquin the scheme of servius remained unexecuted and that on his expulsion the romans drew it forth from the public archives and made it the foundation of their new republican form of government we need hardly say that this cannot have been the way in which the Centuriate comitia came into being and supplanted the curies this change can have come to pass only in consequence of a revolution which changed the old sacerdotal kingdom into a military monarchy, breaking up the primeval federal constitution with its three tribes of Romnes, Tities, and Luceres, its thirty curies, its patrician houses and their clients, and raising the plebeians from their degraded position to the rank of Roman citizens. By this revolution, Rome became a military power, and even when the kings were expelled, the military organization of the people created by them was retained and no doubt contributed to give rome a superiority over her neighbors the memory of the process which led to this great advance has been lost whether it was entirely worked out by an internal organic reform or whether etruscan rulers introduced it cannot now be proved by any external evidence some few traces in the traditions point to the latter alternative for instance the account of the opposition which the elder tarquin met when he wished to reform the old centuries of knights the native sabine augur attis navius we are told resisted the foreign king but was obliged to yield when tarquin though reforming the old institutions left the old names unaltered servius tullius the traditional author of the canturiate comitia is represented in some annals as an etruscan warrior named mastarna coming to rome and settling there with his followers. These are indications of a reform caused by foreign influence, yet there are not wanting traces which seem to show that the Canturied organization was an organic development of that of the Curies, a theory which, however, does not exclude the possibility of foreign influence to facilitate and direct the process. The popular assembly could only meet, when duly convoked by a consul, on a day set apart by the pontifical calendar for such meetings. Under the presidency of a consul, the people were called upon to approve or negative the motion which the consul, with the approval of the Senate, laid before them. There was no discussion of any kind. The people were simply asked to say yes or no. Their power went no further, and there is no doubt that in most cases the vote of the people was a mere matter of form. When a question had been duly discussed in the Senate and was, upon a decree of the Senate, brought before the people by the executive magistrate, it would have been strange indeed and an ominous sign of internal dissensions if the people had voted contrary to what was expected of them. In ordinary times the consul acted under the authority of the Senate and the people under the authority of the consul and thus the three apparently independent agents worked in harmony together because in reality one of them led and the others followed we have now drawn such a sketch of the first republican constitution as our scanty sources justify meagre as it is it enables us to form an opinion of its general character it was a decidedly aristocratic form of government the patricians were in possession of the executive power and of the priestly offices they alone formed the senate and they had such influence in the popular assembly of centuries that they were able to carry elections and resolutions in it in the patrician interest but we cannot estimate the influence of these institutions on the nation at large unless we can ascertain the proportion which the patricians bore to the whole roman people as to wealth and numbers if the governing body formed but a small nobility and nevertheless engrossed all political power the constitution of the republic was in the highest degree unsafe and the position of the patricians quite untenable for the physical strength represented by numbers is indispensable for the maintenance of the rule of one class over another unfortunately we have no data whatever to fix accurately the respective numbers of patricians and plebeians in the beginning of the regal period when the foundation of the state was laid the patricians undoubtedly formed a people or rather the people the populus Romanus. They were the conquerors who had won their position by force of arms. The conquered population, even if it had been more numerous, was not a match for them, and had to be content with toleration and protection. But it seems natural that a class which, like the patricians, received no addition from without, and which had to bear the brunt of all the numerous wars, must gradually have diminished in number, whereas the inferior citizens would be constantly recruited by the admission of conquered enemies and liberated slaves thus it would become imperatively necessary to strengthen the patrician combatants by plebeians and this process found its legal expression in the establishment of the canturiate comitia to be able to judge of the true character of the comitia canturiata we ought to know what proportion the plebeians bore in the centuries to the patricians Did they form a considerable portion, or half, or more than half, or the whole of the 170 centuries of the infantry? Did the patricians form the 18 centuries of knights, or some of the centuries of the infantry, and how many? By putting these questions, we have indicated already that the Roman historians leave us in doubt, and that we are driven to form our opinions independently of their evidence. This is not the place to enumerate the various conjectures of writers, still less to discuss them. Perhaps we ought simply to confess our ignorance and our inability to supply the gap left by the silence of our informants. Still, without pretending to infallibility, we may venture to express an opinion, vague enough, yet better than mere vacuity. We think, that when the centuriate assembly of the people was first established a body of plebeian companies was formed equal to that of the old patrician companies of fighting men we think that the traces of this division of the whole people into two equal parts are discernible in the fact that the first class alone in the centuriate comitia contained eighty centuries and the four succeeding classes only ninety centuries the first class therefore was almost equal to all the others put together if we take into consideration that the first class had originally the name of classis, that is, army, to itself, and that the four other classes were designated as below the class, classum, we can hardly fail to see that there must have been a difference of kind and not only of degree between the eighty centuries of the first class and the ninety centuries of the other classes. Now it is extremely probable that this difference was no other than the difference between patricians and plebeians, and that the reform which established the centuriate Comitia consisted in this, that an equal number of plebeian companies or centuries were added to the existing number of patrician companies to form the army and the national assembly. This is the reform which, as we have several times hinted before, was effected in Rome by those military kings who succeeded the sacerdotal kings of the primeval period. When the light of history begins to dawn upon the Republic, we find a state of things somewhat differing from this equal balance of patricians and plebeians in the army. It seems that the number of patricians must have greatly diminished, while that of the plebeians increased. The Roman armies are generally represented as essentially consisting of plebeians, not so the political assembly of centuries. In this assembly the patricians for a long time had a decided majority, at least they were sufficiently strong in it to carry the elections in their own favor. This shows that the Comitia Canturiata, though originally the groundwork of the military organization, had come to be merely a political organization, and that the army was now formed on a different principle. That such was the case later in the history of Rome is well known, but what we do not know is the exact time when the separation took place between the political assembly and the army in our opinion this separation had taken place in that period of the republic which preceded the secession of the plebs perhaps it was coeval with the establishment of the republic for as it threw the great burden of military service chiefly upon the plebeians whilst it reserved for the patricians the superiority in the voting assembly it is in keeping with that aristocratic spirit which as we have seen characterized the republican revolution the plebeians therefore found themselves in this position that whereas they were called upon to bear the burdens of citizenship and especially the greatest of them namely military service they had little influence in the decisions of the sovereign assembly of citizens such a state of things could not last it was overthrown by a great convulsion the secession of the plebs which might have led to the dissolution of the roman commonwealth but which owing to the wise concessions of the senate and the patricians laid the foundation of plebeian liberties End of section 17.